Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello and welcome to Sibyline Podcast Series. I'm Valeria Scuto, the Middle East and North Africa analyst, and I am joined today by our new Middle East and North Africa lead analyst, Ahmed Al-Karout, and Middle East and North Africa associate analyst, Anastasia Chisholm. Today, we're going to discuss the most recent cross-border escalation between Israel and Gaza. After Israel green-lighted a preemptive military operation called Operation Breaking Dawn, which was launched on Friday, August 5th. The fighting has now halted thanks to a ceasefire, which has been in place since Sunday, August 7th, and which was brokered by several regional players, including Egypt and Qatar. The fighting resulted in significant rocket fire that targeted several Israeli cities, including Tel Aviv, Jerusalem's outskirts, and Beersheba in the south of the country. Reportedly, around uh, 1,100 rockets were fired, with the vast majority being intercepted by Israel's Iron Dome. The death toll was also significant, with at least 45 Palestinians killed, including children, hundreds wounded, and at least three Israelis also being wounded. However, to many, this operation came somewhat as a surprise, particularly after the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the main group involved in this confrontation, had not responded earlier during the week to the arrest of one of its leaders, Bassam al-Sadi. Anastasia, what can you tell us about the context of Israel's Operation Breaking Dawn and the week ahead of the cross-border escalation with Gaza? As you mentioned, the kind of short-term trigger for the recent escalations can somewhat be attributed to the events surrounding the recent arrest of PIJ's leader, Batem al-Sadi, during a raid by Israeli counterterrorism forces in Jenin, northern West Bank, on the 1st of August. So according to the Israeli security agency, al-Sadi was instrumental in creating a significant PIJ force in the West Bank, which was the site of intense Israeli counterterrorism operations and raids in April to May, following a spate of terror attacks in Israel. So during the most recent raid to arrest Bassem al-Sadi, the Israeli Defense Forces allegedly killed a 17-year-old Palestinian resident. Now, for context, previous incidents of Palestinian deaths during Israeli military raids have triggered unrest across the Palestinian territories. Since this incident, the Al-Quds Brigade, so the military wing of PIJ, have repeatedly threatened armed retaliation against Israeli residents in bordering areas with Gaza. So in turn, these threats prompted the Israeli military to declare a state of high alert on the 2nd of August, um, and they closed roads and residential areas around the Gaza envelope, which refers to the seven-kilometer radius around the Gaza border. Now, in light of this context, Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz warned that Israel would take action if PIJ refused to halt alleged preparations for an attack, reportedly set to target a civilian bus on Israeli territory using anti-tank missiles. But in the longer term, we can consider Operation Breaking Dawn as a preemptive strike preceded by the intensification of IDF operations, uh, counterterrorism operations over the past four months or so. Thank you for that. Yes, as I was uh, mentioning and as, as you followed up, the, the main actor this time was uh, the, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the main group firing missiles uh, towards Israel. What can you tell us about the differences with Hamas and their role in, in Gaza? The group has definitely heightened its profile also after the spate of attacks uh, we saw at the end uh, of April and in, into May. 
So like Hamas, PRJ is an Iranian-backed Palestinian militant group based in Gaza and is the second largest, therefore second most significant group potentially in the Gaza Strip after Hamas. But unlike Hamas, PRJ also has a more significant presence in the West Bank, including the cities of Jenin and Hebron. Two decades, PIJ have conducted several high-profile attacks on Israeli territory, including large-scale bombing striking civilian and urban targets in Israel in the early 2000s. Now, in terms of their respective arsenals, PIJ has a considerable arsenal of rockets, uh, small arms, and anti-tank missiles. And then PIJ is estimated to have more short-range rockets than Hamas, so around between 6,000 to 8,000 prior to this latest round of conflict. Also, estimates indicate. Now, meanwhile, Hamas's military wing, the Al Qassam Brigade, possesses a greater longer range rocket arsenal. So, estimates suggest that approximately six to seven of Hamas's rockets in its arsenal have an operational radius of at least 75 kilometers. Now, both groups use uh, some local manufacturing processes with the support of Iran to develop their respective arsenals. Ideologically, both PIJ and Hamas share a common animosity towards the destruction of the Israeli state and the establishment of a Palestinian state. However, unlike Hamas, which is the de facto ruling authority of the Gaza Strip, PIJ is opposed to any participation in the Palestinian political process and has no known ambitions to form a government or run in elections in Gaza or the West Bank. So this has translated to some divergence in the actions of the two groups, with Hamas being more cautious of escalations with Israel due to pressures from its constituents, particularly regarding socioeconomic issues such as that of Palestinian work permits, as well as Hamas's desire to remain the main political authority of Gaza. Meanwhile, PIJ focuses on military rather than political activity, and so has rejected any compromises with Israel and faces fewer deterrents to engaging in armed confrontations. So these differences somewhat highlight why the IDF targeted Operation Breaking Dawn against PIJ, rather than with the latter group generally seeking to avoid severe armed escalations as witnessed in May last year, part due to the severe impact on the Gazan economy and Hamas's own weapons arsenals. Thanks for that. The West Bank has been gradually heating up over these past months, and not all of it is to incitement by Hamas commanders or other Palestinian militia groups. There are undercurrents, which Israel's leadership isn't necessarily paying attention to, that are worrying and of concern. But Ahmed, how do you think the most recent developments will affect the security environment across the West Bank? I think the recent round of escalation in Gaza was connected to the ongoing escalation in the West Bank since last year's military flare-up between Palestinians and Israel. The reason for that is because the Palestinians' militant groups feel that they have become emboldened after the war, that Israel is deterred, and therefore they have more upper hand to exercise more influence in the West Bank. So we have observed in the past few months more Palestinians attacking Israeli checkpoints, attacking settlements, organizing and mobilizing the Israeli army in the West Bank. And this particular flare-up is connected directly to that action. So they are trying to tell the Israelis that Gaza and the West Bank are a united military front. That's why it's no surprise that Al-Quds brigades have named the operation on their side, the United Front Operation. And the aim was to show that Islamic Jihad has capabilities 
in Gaza that it can deploy to support its militant fighters in the West Bank, therefore making Palestinian uh, military action more united and coordinated, trying to exert more pressure on the Israelis in different issues and ideas uh, of the conflict. I think this round of conflict has proved that the Palestinian military groups are capable of conducting short-term military flare-ups in support of very specific objectives such as the release of specific prisoners that are deemed to be of high value and to be of leadership positions. And therefore, I think it is very likely that in the future, they might deem that this will still be a good choice. So as we know, they have said that Israel will be releasing two Islamic Jihad leaders as a result of this round of conflict. And they threaten that they will be escalating the violence again. So we are likely seeing a new kind of confrontation between Israel and the Palestinians in the West Bank that is aided by militant groups based in Gaza who are trying to help Palestinian militant groups in the West Bank exercise more pressure on the Israeli military operations there. Thank you for this. Very, very interesting. In a way, also, Israel is now the government and the defense establishment is now evaluating sort of conclusions and they have achieved their objectives during this recent Gaza operations. In a way, it was also one of the first times in which Israel managed to end a round of fighting with a negotiated ceasefire on on terms that were quite favorable to them. What can we expect for the next weeks and months, uh, particularly as the ceasefire has been linked to the release of prisoners? And what can businesses expect going further and what should they be looking out for? So I think we have three levels that we need to consider and take in mind when we want to foresee the future of conflict between Israel and Palestine particularly militant groups in Palestine. First, we have the global level, which is the fact that insofar the uh, Russian war on Ukraine continues and Western sanctions as a result continue on gas and other energy sources, uh, we are likely to see tensions globally around energy resources intensify. This is included in the East Mediterranean region where there has been uh, announcement of findings of gas sources and oil sources. Palestinians and uh, Lebanese have both said they will be interested in getting a share of these resources and they are willing to fight for these resources. So this is a a global level is a likely trigger for a regional tension. And Hassan Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah, has recently made statements on several occasions saying that as in September, we are likely to see more escalation if a deal hasn't been breached. That would include Hezbollah attacking oil installations and gas installations that belong to Israel but are seen or deemed to be belonging to the Palestinians. So the likelihood of escalation due to local events such as the arrest is relatively moderate, but the greater threat would be that if these groups decide to engage in much more broader regional confrontation or pursuit of energy security, they have made the threats. We don't necessarily deem them to be very trustworthy or of high possibility, but it is something that possibly can trigger another round of violence in the coming few weeks. Thank you for that couple of trends to continue watching and new ones to keep an eye on. Well, thank you both uh, very much. I'd now like to welcome our Europe Associate Analyst, Thomas Carter, who will outline the key events to watch out for the next couple of weeks. On the 12th of August in Papua New Guinea, expects delayed general election results are due 
that counting of the votes should be completed by this date after being deferred by authorities. However, a number of issues have plagued the electoral process. Violent protests often sparked by allegations of voting irregularities have been common and are expected to continue. On the 14th of August, the Pakistan Independence Day, heightened security around government infrastructure, particularly the red zone in Islamabad, will cause supply chain disruptions. There is also a heightened risk of attacks by separatist groups. On the 19th of August, a vote of confidence in the government is to be held in Montenegro, following the government's signing of a controversial agreement with the Serbian Orthodox Church. It is likely that the vote of confidence against the minority government will be successful, increasing government instability risk in the near term. In August, Gaza Strip's Hamas-run government is set to further reduce public sector salary payments, likely to 40% of their full salary compared to the current 60%. The cuts are highly likely to drive a decline in Hamas popularity amid the deepening financial crisis. Protests are almost certain to take place with a reasonable possibility of violent clashes. In Guinea, the forces of Vise de la Nation, a coalition of political party, trade unions and civil society organisations, have called for anti-government nationwide protests on the 15th of August. Previous protests, including on the 28th and the 29th of July, resulted in violent clashes with security forces in the capital, with forces using live ammunition to disperse crowds, indicating the likelihood of further violent protests. Protests will disrupt movement in the capital city centre, impacting supply chains dependent on the capital's ports. Thank you very much, Thomas. Again, thank you for tuning in today. And should you have any questions, please feel free to reach out at info at Until next week, goodbye.